This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Ho, 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 traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. Used to be Top Step Trader, now just Top Step. It's cleaner. As Justin Timberlake's character once said in the social network, I'm dating myself with that reference. Anyway, uh, Dan's already off. He's out in Wisconsin, chucking jumps of snowmobile hills or whatever sort of country uh, stuff he does out there. But uh, that doesn't mean we can't have some fun. So today we uh, have a little theme and it kind of ties into the holidays. Uh, You know, what makes Santa such a great gift giver? You know, I think it's that he has a system that he utilizes. So that's what we're kind of going with today. We're doing a best of episode with some of the interviews we'd had with people who talked about the systems that they built to uh, make them more efficient traders. Uh, We have interviews with Jeremy Tang and Zach White, Chris Tate, Jerry Robinson, Gary Morrow, and uh, Double Gary Action, Gary Antonacy as well. Uh, That's when we talk about dual momentum. These were some of our favorite interviews from 2020. Uh, They were bright spots in a year that otherwise, well, uh, Let's be honest, it's kind of uh, kind of sucked. So we hope that you're having a great time with your family or friends uh, virtually if need be. We hope you enjoy this episode. We'll be back with new episodes in the new year. But in the meantime, please enjoy some of our favorite moments from this past year. We'll see you after the break. When you're looking versus trading versus long-term investments, how do you determine the difference? Um, is there a point where you... Do you have a rule in your system that says, okay, it's gone against me a little bit, but I still really love this. Um, I'm just going to roll that into an investment or are you, do you have those strict lines where it starts to break apart? When you trade, the rules are entirely different. Of course, we know this, but the rules are entirely different than whenever you're investing in a stock. Very different. So it would not be unheard of to average down whenever you're investing, right? That wouldn't be unheard of. But when you're trading, that's one of the cardinal sins of trading is to average down. You're thinking like an investor. So most of the problems that I see with traders when they fail is that they're they're approaching it like an investor. And most of the people who I see who fail in investing approach it like a trader. So that's really the key problem that, that we have to figure out. So when you're a trader, you got to put your trading hat on and then take it off when you're being an investor. And that's that messes people up. It's hard to do, I'll tell you. I've been doing it for a long time, and I still have to really remember my rules at all times because it's easy to get caught up. So let me give you a perfect example. So I'm a long-term investor in QQQ, the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ 100. Why do I want to be in the NASDAQ 100? Well, I don't want all the single stock risk with all these different companies, Facebook and Google and Tesla and all, you know, all these things that are in the NASDAQ 100. The NASDAQ 100 over time has attracted the top companies, the Facebooks, the Apples, the Googles. 20 years from now, whatever Facebook is going to be, whatever Google, whatever the 20, whatever Google is in the 20, one thir- 2030s or whatever, it's going to be in the NASDAQ 100 index. The NASDAQ 100 index is kind of a magnet for these kind of growth companies, and they get inclusion in that list. So I want exposure to that list. I want exposure to all the stocks in that list. So I put my money into that NASDAQ 100, and I have a long-term horizon. So I'm planning on 20, 30-plus years in QQQ. I'm not selling it. I'm not selling it. How, however, 
what I can do then as an investor in QQQ, whatever, whatever research I did on QQQ, whatever possessed me to invest in it, now I have all that same information to trade. See, many people do with trading is that they trade anything that moves. They don't have a niche. So anything that moves, I say, well, this thing's moving. I got to jump aboard. Well, it's true. You can certainly do trend trading, and that's true. Trend trading works. We, treat, we teach trend trading, but we also teach the importance of having a niche. And so, for example, with the NASDAQ 100, I, I own QQQ in my IRA for the long term. But then because I know QQQ, because I know the NASDAQ 100, because I'm familiar with it, I, I learn about it, I educate myself on it, well, then I feel comfortable now to trade QQQ. But not just QQQ, I like to trade with leverage. So I can use options on QQQ or I can use leverage ETFs. I'm not saying anybody should trade those. I'm not making any recommendations to anybody. But what I do is I'll trade TQQQ whenever it is above a certain area. So I, I use a system. It gives me rules. And anytime uh, TQQQ, which is the 3X version of the NASDAQ 100, anytime it meets my re, re, uh, requirement, I'll buy it at, in my trading account. So then I own QQQ, and then I'm souping up the returns on it with this long trade on the 3X bull version of it. And then I'll sell that whenever it does something else. So I'm in a long-term position on my investing account for QQQ, and then I'm souping up or improving or enhancing the gains on it by trading. My trading has a purpose. It, my trading is purposed to give me a better return on the NASDAQ 100. Now, I do that with a few different niches. I like solar stocks. Uh, that's been one of my niches for a long time. So I, I want to ask you a question. You were just talking about um, you do have some trading system that's kind of helping you determine when you're getting in and out of these trades. Is that that profit taker trend trading system you have, or is that something completely different? That's right. Yeah, it's the profit tracker trend trading system. We started that uh, many years ago, and it's a it's a simple system that's really great uh, for for new traders and experienced traders. But it's good because it teaches them how to it teaches them how to trade without giving them a fish, so to speak. It, it still does give you buy signals and sell signals by all means the system is clear and we have rules but the way we approach it is such that we we really created it in such a way where the individual really realizes that it's up to him he in, in the end uh those who are looking for someone just to give them a fish you know i have found are just going to get hurt uh, nobody has a crystal ball and nobody has all the right answers and so if you can teach individuals how to exploit their own knowledge base their own education their own expertise and then teach them how to research you can really unleash some really amazing things and that's what the profit tracker trend trading system is all about so that profit tracker software gives you long-term uptrends and by the way it's called every single i'm not i don't want to sit here and brag but i mean but it's it's pretty amazing i mean we've been able to go back and look and see we've been able to call every major long-term downtrend, every single major long-term uptrend in every single major U.S. market. I mean, just using basic technical analysis. Um, so one thing, now I'll break it down and get a little bit uh, philosophical for a second because I'm interested, and I think uh, you guys are good people to talk to about this. As, as far as trading goes, what do you think, obviously there's things that computers are much better at. You know, computers are always going to be faster, 
the sort of arbitrage trades and that have completely disappeared because it's computers fighting over it. What are some things you think that right now and kind of going forward that humans are still good at and computers are, and what are some things that computers are better at? And do you see uh, kind of going forward how that's going to go? Well, the, I'll speak to the the research aspect of it because it's sort of I, I sort of see it as a trader's job is is twofold. One is the research of creating a system, say for example, and then the other side is the execution side. And there's no doubt in my mind that when it comes to researching and figuring out what works and what uh, what may be profitable uh, using, say, back data or even for testing, the computer absolutely excels at that. And there's almost no reason why you should you'd want to be doing that manually, other than maybe say training yourself or whatever. But even then, you know, you, if you want to verify what you, you know, your your trading uh, ability, uh, you know, you still use the computer a fair bit to, uh, to to assist in that research aspect of it. In terms of the uh, actual execution, you know, really, I think it's just it's a it's a it's how comfortable you are with uh, with using computer assist. And that's one thing we kind of recognized early on was that everybody has a different uh, take on it. You know, there's this raging debate out there of whether automated trading systems are actually good versus a discretionary trader, you know, which is better. And and honestly, we're not really, we don't really partake in that debate because uh, everybody's different. Some, we've seen discretionary traders that are incredible, you know, and consistent. Uh, And then we've seen, uh, automated trading that's uh, just the exact opposite. So you know it's it's really uh, uh, again up to up, up to the individual in terms of what their comfort level is. We've heard a lot of things about automated trading having a lot of really wild equity swings in your in your account because it it's just not it just it's just not adjusting with all the you know variables that are going on in the world that say human can can digest. And so one of the things are we like to to say to our to potential customers of ours is that we don't try to pigeonhole you in any particular trading style whether you you like to do fully automated trading or you like to do discretionary or somewhere along the spectrum somewhere in the middle it's always going to be sort of an assist uh, either way and so we don't really try to jump on any side of the fence and say well one's better than the other because it it really isn't it really depends on the individual of course, like if your uh, strategy isn't sound, nothing in the world's going to help you out. But if you're trading with a sound strategy you've developed, anything you can have that can offer you, you were talking about anything that could boost your confidence in the trade so that you're not bailing out early. So you're not just, you know, dumping things or you hold it for as long as, you know, your risk reward is for the trade. Um, that's all great stuff. It's great to have that confidence behind you. Yeah, we, we do talk a lot about confidence and our tools being a great confidence builder, not, not only from the research side, because imagine, you know, there's there's two ways you can go about this. You can just go guns a blazing and, and jump into the markets uh, with some new idea, which is never recommended. But no. <laughs> they, how confident are you going to be doing that? You know, when you haven't really done the research or the hard work to, to know if this little change or tweak that you've made to your, your trading uh, system is is going to work or not, you know, and so that that's a very legitimate way to use uh, autom- automated uh, trading is is actually just to use it to to build to describe your system so you can be more confident trading discretionarily. But as Zach was 
kind of alluding to is is like everything is so fast these days and you know we've, we've all seen that that flash crash what was it in 2015 i think it was it, where basically computers are driving uh the markets and and in, in, at actually incredible speeds and so uh not having kind of some sort of computer assist to execute things quicker is really make it makes it quite difficult for the retail trader to compete trading is a very simple methodical process major indices they have one job and that's to go higher and there are always going to be dips we're going to see time and time again the market's going to sell off and like you said it's a panic but that's where where wealth starts to get created for our younger clients i i've got a and not me originally um, i tell them embrace the decline when you see the markets lower you've got the greatest tool that anybody could possibly have for generating wealth. It's called time. You're 30 years old. You're making a nice living. You've got a nice little core um, retirement building. Totally ignore all the noise. Ignore it all. And by the time you're age 65 and if you've continued down this path and every time the market has declined, you embraced it, you're going to be a very, very wealthy person. Well, it's really there's only one side to it because to people that are uh, perma bears, it's you got to think that if you do get one of these situations that completely wipes out the stock market, it's not going to matter anyway. You know, <laughs> you're not going to have money to collect. We'll all be <laughs> right exactly. living in the woods. Exactly. So yeah, something to keep in the back of your mind. So you're way into technical analysis over there. Do you still look at the same indicators that you would look at earlier in your career? Or have you changed or kind of stayed on the same thesis? It hasn't changed much. Um, price is the ultimate indicator. Um, I, I still like to watch volume. And I've always been a big guy with moving averages. And I try and keep my charts pretty simple. Um, I, I focus on entry, refining entry points. Exits take care of themselves. I don't worry about when I, where I'm going to get out. I have targets and use targets. but um, I use moving averages, price action, volume. Um, we do a lot of trend lines, those kinds of things to help find support and resistance areas. And I try and keep it simple. I, I focus on mad longs and mad shorts. If I'm long and I've, I've taken some pain, um, where am I going to get out? Where, where are the levels that I'm going to get out? And I think of, I don't think of big institutional people that are, um, filling insurance company or, you know, giant management company uh, portfolios with stocks, I don't regard them as really good traders. Uh, They execute orders. So um, I feel like I can get an edge from a trading perspective um, simply by watching price action, um, seeing where, you know, uh, uh, there was a, a large sign of accumulation going on at a certain level a month ago following a short-term sell-off. Well, it's very likely those same institutional people are going to come back in for that stock now that it's back to those levels. They want to keep their, you know, their their entry level to be, you know, close to the where they started the position. So, those are definitely factors for me. But my if I I the first thing I used to do when I was when I even when I was running on the floor is I would get the monthly or the weekly. I might have been a biweekly book of charts, the giant black and white book of daily charts and I would update them with my little protractor and I'd put my little and if my hands were sweaty I'd smear all the lead and the ink would 
just is a mess. The charts I use now do not look that different than back then, except for they're on my computer screen and they have some color. Um, and uh, uh, but you know, volume bars and moving average convergence divergence and moving averages and on the on the chart themselves and still pretty still pretty simple. Gary, so you wrote a book and kind of came up with your own theory called, which I am ignorant of, let's say, um, called Dual Momentum. And I think it'd be really cool to learn a little bit about that. And I think the people listening would too. Well, momentum is nothing new. It's basically persistence in performance. And the most common type of momentum is relative strength, which has been known for, for a long time. I I read about relative strength back in the 60s and 70s. So what happened was, um, it's actually in 1937 that it was uh, studied academically by uh, Cowles and uh, and Jones. And they saw that stocks that had done well the prior year tended to do well going forward. And uh, nobody paid any attention to it because uh, academics started getting into uh, things like the efficient markets, and they didn't think you could get an edge. But after that started uh, showing some uh, gaps, some cracks in the wall, you know, back in uh, early 1970s, a couple of researchers decided to replicate Cowles and Jones' work, and they discovered the same thing, that stocks that had done well during the preceding three to 12 months continued to outperform going forward. Uh, and then other academics jumped on it because this became a big threat to the efficient market hypothesis because momentum was the strongest anomaly out there. And uh, it it really meant the downfall of a strong form of efficient market theory. So they started seeing if they could show that it didn't hold up. And they looked at momentum uh, every which way they could, going forward and backwards in time across different assets. And what they found is it works with everything over all time periods. So uh, that was kind of cool. But there are some issues having to do with stock momentum because when you're applying momentum to stocks, you end up in more volatile stocks that have wider bid-ask spreads. And momentum is a very high turnover strategy. So uh, trading costs and and, uh, price impact have some uh, effect on the returns that, that you might get. Plus, a lot of people, when a lot of people start doing something, the returns may not hold up there either. So uh, I started looking at it a little differently. I, my first momentum paper looked at how you could apply momentum in different ways to different markets. And I found that momentum actually worked best when you applied it to geographically diversified stock indices so that you got rid of some of the individual security risk and volatility and you could just trade ETFs that way. Um, and then there was a research paper by Gexky and Samanoff showing the same thing, going much further back in time. They went back to the year 1800, and they showed that momentum performs best also on geographically diversified stock indices. So that takes care of the relative strength part of it. Now, there's another part of momentum, which is uh, called time series or absolute momentum, which is really trend following. That's how an asset has done compared to itself over the past. So if, let's say, the S&P 500 has been up over the past year, 
we say it has positive absolute momentum and it should continue to go up because momentum is persistence in performance. And there's been a lot of work now, uh, especially the, the last 10 years, looking at this form of momentum. Grazerman and, and Kaminsky have a book in which they looked at trend following using a 12-month look back on performance, and they applied it to stocks and everything else all the way back to the beginning of time. So they took the stock market back to the 1600s and other assets back to the 1200s, and they found that trend following in this form of absolute momentum outperformed buy and hold consistently in all markets. So here we have a 200-year history of relative strength momentum, and we have you know, a history of trend following absolute momentum almost back to the time of Genesis. So my idea was why not put them both together? And that's where dual momentum came up with. What I do is I look to see if the trend in stocks has been up or down over uh, different time frames. In my book, I use a 12-month look back. So if, the, if, say, the S&P 500 has been up over the past year, then we want to be in stocks. And then we have to decide what stocks to be in. So to make it easy, I just said, well, there's U.S. stocks and there's non-U.S. stocks. Uh, each make up about half the world market capitalization. So, uh, And there's highly liquid ETFs for both. So I say, okay, which has been, if we're going to be in stocks, which has been stronger over the past 12 months, U.S. stocks or non-U.S. stocks? And that's what I'll be in. And then I reevaluate that every month, uh, both on an absolute and relative momentum basis to decide whether I want to be in stocks or whether, and if I'm going to be in stocks, then which geographic area do I want to be in? If I'm not going to be in stocks, then I go into the safety of short-term intermediate-term bonds. Now, momentum can also be applied to other assets, and I have proprietary models that include other assets along with stocks and bonds, and that include different ways of, of looking at trend and relative strength. One thing that I wanted to ask you about, as long as we've kind of been focusing on trading psychology, is we are talking about how following the trend, you know, going with the trend one way or the other is the way to trade. But I see that you are very interested in uh, the idea of recency bias. Um, how do you kind of decide what is the trend to follow because it's what's happening versus what makes recency bias? That, that's a really good question. Uh, for, the, for those who don't sort of know what recency bias is, it, it, it's this issue where today was, I, I, I believe that today was like yesterday, therefore tomorrow will be like today. No, nothing ever changes. I think what happens with each generation of traders is they think this is A, all new, and they've just discovered it, and B, uh, something I've seen particularly over the past decade is uh, watching colleagues in the US is that stocks only ever go up. Here's a newsflash for you. They also go down. And the, the way we insulate people against recency bias is to be systematic. The, the system tells you what the trend is. It, it, it's not a perceptual judgment because, as we've discussed, human perception is flawed and it's flawed and skewed towards what your existing bias is. So, for example, if you think Roku only ever goes up because in the limited time frame you've been trading it, it's only ever gone up. A, you're afflicted by recency bias. 
but B, you're unable to take a step back from what is occurring and say, well, what's actually the global picture with price at present? And that that catches people all the time. As I said before, there are no new mistakes in trading. Everybody makes the same mistakes. We make them in our own way, though. And it's the same when we interact with price. We have to understand that our experience is not universal in that respect. This, this has happened before. Uh, I, I have this little thing where I will put up a particular chart and I'll say to people, have a guess at what it is. And all the young people will go, it's Bitcoin. And I'll go, no, it's not. It's actually the South Sea bubble that occurred 300 years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the price trajectories are the same. So there's nothing new, and you need to have this historical global view that says, yes, this is happening to me now, but what what else could possibly happen? What what variant perception could I have? And that's very, very difficult for people to do because we like continuity. We, we, we assume that because our days are all the same, that every day will be the same. But in trading, that's not true. Day, days change. That's a great way to put it. And that's just a good thing to take to life, too. Even if every day seems like it, there will come a day once every two weeks, once every month, once every year, certainly every couple of years, that's going to completely blow that up. But it, but it comes back to what you said before about being adaptable, about being fluid and malleable, and just being able to adapt to the circumstances you find yourself in. And that, that's very hard. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this compilation episode of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I nearly said Top Step Trader again, just Top Step. Uh, We're so glad that you've gone on this journey with us. Hopefully you learned something. Uh, Now just sit back, relax. I always find it difficult to do the uh, intros and outros if I don't have another person to talk to. You know, you kind of seem crazy in some ways, sitting in your uh, closet with a microphone, trying to talk to yourself about uh, the markets and such like that, which to make a bigger point kind of uh, goes with what we've been missing a lot of this year as far as human interaction, right? Uh, Maybe it's not even that crazy anymore to be talking by yourself in a closet because uh, what else are you going to do? I can't go anywhere at the moment. So hopefully we can put this on a rearview mirror and start off uh, 2021 strong. So until then, we have one more week of best of episodes, and then we'll be right back at you in January with some uh, sexy new bits on the Limit Up podcast. So until then, have a great holidays, no matter what you're celebrating, and trade well. The Limit Up podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.